Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Told y'all before it was supposed to the bow. Nothing but the repeat with Wentz back on the throne. All we do is set trends, so you know what we own. Yep, I'm back with the remix. It's fourth and John. All birds, all Philly, midnight green. Things changing for the better since we got that ring. Put the league on notice. We're not done. 2019, we adding another one. Yeah, you heard me right on every Tuesday night. Eight to ten birds of a feather got that flight. Nothing but the hot takes. Back with the big facts for the Fans by the fans, exactly where we at. Pull up to the tailgate, stop by F1. Baptized by the Pope, been bass for everyone. Flying in from the West Coast, even overseas. Get blessed by Ginger Jesus, we disciples of the tree. E-A-G, wait, C-H-M-P. S, don't stress, we on the same conquest. Dominate the division, destroy the NFC, conquer the AFC. Grab that Vince Lombardi, went to AJ. Climb it up the gut, be grand with the strip sack. This sound familiar, huh? Aguilar on the slot, Sproles with the return, Mills with the pick six, okay, wait, it gets worse, J train on the run, J.E. hitting from 60, Fletcher seeing that D-line, that's what you don't want to see, Earps catching tubs, foes on another level, the Super Bowl ain't the only time you see that Philly special, we live from Broad Street, brotherly loves the heartbeat, hungry dogs run faster, and we don't eat cheap, no one likes us, and we don't care, cause we from Philly, and we ain't never scared, look up. But I just got to know one thing. Are you ready? No, I said, are you ready? Here we go. Boys and girls, welcome to 4th and John, episode 81. I am not going to sugarcoat this thing or try to find a silver lining in a loss. That loss against the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas was frustrating. It was disappointing. It was downright devastating. 
And it's so funny because that everything that happened in that game against the Dallas Cowboys was a little mini, almost microcosm of everything that's gone wrong with this Philadelphia Eagles team this year. Whether it's having trouble scoring in the first quarter. Against the Dallas Cowboys, the hell with the first quarter. They didn't even score until the third quarter. Whether it be questionable play calling by Doug Peterson. You're really going to run an option play to the short side of the field on third down? You're really going to run this type of stuff? Whether it be suspect secondary play that has plagued the Philadelphia Eagles all season, where you're giving quarterbacks like Ryan Fitzpatrick over 400 yards, Marcus Mariota's highest total passing yards for the season, Drew Brees had his highest number of touchdown passes, and Dak Prescott had 455 yards passing? Dak Prescott, the Coda Rain Prescott, the guy who had trouble even sniffing 300 yards, that's what you're going to do? Now, granted, a lot of that is due to injuries in the secondary. Speaking of which, here we go with the injuries again. Corey Clement and Josh Sweat go down. The inability to put games away when you have the opportunity. Elliott missing an extra point. We wouldn't even be having this conversation if Elliott banged that one. Not having the ball bounce our way like it did in 2017, like it did when it landed in Amari Cooper's hands to ice it in overtime. Getting away from the run game, a problem all year. Josh Adams has three touches for 30 yards and averages 10 yards a carry and then doesn't see the ball practically for the rest of the game. The inability to stay on the field, which has plagued the Philadelphia Eagles all season long. In their first six drives, there was five punts, three three and outs, and one fumble. The inability for this offense to get going at all. The inability for drafted players to make an impact. Look back at the last three drafts, look at that game, and tell me the players that are drafted that are making an impact. 2018, Goddard and Josh Sweat, who got hurt. Goddard had a good game. 2017, Sidney Jones, hurt. Razul Douglas playing, Nate Gary out there because of injury. 2016, Carson Wentz making an impact. Isaac Salamalo, oh, oh, all right, whatever. Wendell Smallwood had one carry. Vitide play, played exactly one play. But these are all symptomatic of the 2018 season, which can all be found in one game. Not to mention the refs absolutely, positively screwing the Eagles from the get-go. And trust me, we'll get into that as well. But yet somehow, some way, there is an opportunity for this Philadelphia Eagles team to back in, trip in, fall into the sixth seed in the NFC playoffs. What? And there's a a chance it might happen. But today I'm not in the mood. I'm not in the mood to talk about, hey, guys, there's still hope. Hey, guys, there's still chance. All I want to do is to get this negative energy out of me today. So maybe you can help me with that, Mr. Gail Saunders, Eagle Sessions on Twitter. How are you feeling this evening? I don't think you get any positivity over here, bro. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about this Eagles team and talked about the identity. Like, what is their identity? I mean, if... You've been paying attention. Uh, you know, this Eagles team has been trying to show you who they are. Uh, but you've probably been in denial, um, which is understandable. We're Super Bowl champs defending, right? Right. But the truth is we have an offense that can't get it started and a defensive unit that is too tired to finish. 
A coach who doesn't know how to utilize his weapons, a quarterback coming back from injury who's pushing and trying to do too much, a tight end-centric offense with tight ends not named Dallas Goddard, an offense with no balance, a neglected running game running on fumes, a football team dealing with a boatload of injuries, a secondary too banged up with us relying on no-name corners to compete. It's, it's, a, it's a hard and difficult situation to look yourself in the face you know, we we're doing a lot of looking in the mirrors these days. And this is what it is, folks. You know, like we lost to the Dallas Cowboys again on national television. This is the game that you win. This is the game where you write the ship. This is the game that you tell the NFL the Eagles are back and making a run for the playoffs. Uh obviously, you know, you know, you don't want to blame refs, uh but that was one of the the most Awful games, refs games I've seen in, in my lifetime of watching football. And I've watched a lot of football. I, I know it stings more because our Eagles, you know, we're at the short end of the stick on that. But, you know, we it, it, it's, it's our fault that we lost. It, mainly the offense. The, that defense was out there fighting for their life with guys that are no-namers. Guys that are, have half a hamstring left. Guys like Rasul Douglas making, uh, playing, playing, playing lights out. Doug Peterson has to finally look at himself. I mean, it's all closed again. That pressure he was talking about, taking the pressure off now. The pressure is up, up, up and away. It's now it's in your face, Doug Peterson. Now, uh, I think with the, the way the season has come to an end, not an end yet, but practically, practically an end, uh, he's got to look at himself in the mirror. Yeah, and I'm with you 100% as far as ref blaming goes. I, I hate to sit here and be one of those fans that says Jerry's paying off the refs. Because let's face it, if it was the fl- if we flipped the script and we dominated the Cowboys, we wouldn't want to hear all those excuses from the Cowboys fans. We wouldn't. Wa- I don't like any time opposing fans approach me and be like, "Yo, the reason you won, you didn't earn it. The referees gave you the game," but. Damn, bro. Damn. And in oh. fact, on ninety seven, uh, the 97.5 Morning Show, they had a, a ref expert, a network ref expert, read verbatim the rule. And the rule is that it doesn't matter if it's a clear recovery, if all the jerseys are matching color, and there were three jerseys, one ball, not a Cowboys player within an arm's length of the football, that that should absolutely 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt go to the Philadelphia Eagles. The league botched that one, and it set the tempo. It's hard to sit here and not ref blame when that sets the tempo for the entire game. Now, referees are not. Eagles win or not. Like, let's say the Eagles pulled it out in overtime. You would have a tough time convincing me that the Eagles were the better team on the field. That's what concerns me more. Because, listen, it's known. It's football 101. Everybody knows that in the NFL, the best team doesn't always win the game. And had the Eagles won the game, would it increase our playoff chances? Yes. Would we be tied for the NFC East? Yes. But would you still really walk away from that game feeling like the Eagles were the better team? I want want to focus more on the Eagles than I want to do about the Dallas Cowboys, or more specifically, the overall officiating. But let's make one thing clear. We got screwed from the get-go and it set the tempo for the entire game. And Cowboys fans will argue like, "Oh, these these Eagle fans, you, you know, you you're crying about this." 
this is coming from the fan base who's still arguing that Dez caught it. <laughs> so obviously we have something to be upset about because uh, it's clear as day. All the NFL referees, retired and whatever, have have stated their case that it's fact that that wasn't a penalty. It was it was so funny to see it on the timeline because there were there were guys like Terrell Owens. There were players tweeting about it, showing the clip, and being like, "Are you kidding me? This is what th- th- like this is not a clear recovery by the kicking team. Are are you kidding me right mm-hmm. now?" And there was even ones blaming it on the on the, the Goddard. Yeah, one. the Goddard, the Goddard penalty, offensive pass interference. Within five yards, he has the right to run his route, get off the release. And he got hooked off two times in the head. What happened to those penalties? I mean, but uh, hey, Dallas Goddard came to play, though. He did. He showed showed us some future, though. He did. Evan Hollywood Hearn, how are you this evening? <sighs> I'm, I, I got to be honest with you, I'm not going to uh, brighten up the mood in the room at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, honestly, I walked away from this game um, feeling like how I've been feeling the past few weeks, and that is that I feel duped. I feel duped in this team, and I feel as duped in this team as I did when, I'm going to say it, but I, I, I don't want you to take it the wrong way, as duped in this team as when I believed in the whole Chip Kelly system. I'm not saying, Oof. I'm not comparing the two Oof. coaches, but I'm going to explain my rationale here. I believed in the beginning of this season that on paper we had a better defense than we did last year. They've proven nothing but the opposite. Um, I also believed that this team... I didn't believe that Frank Reich was the sole reason that we were having great play calls last season where big balls dug. Could it have been big balls Frank? We don't know. I feel duped that I mocked the Dallas Cowboys for going out and trading a first-round pick for Amari Cooper. I said, that was stupid. How could they go out there and get a player like Amari Cooper and give up a first-round pick? Man, has that paid off for them. And... um, even as close as last week, I feel duped in the fact that we were talking about last week. Zach Ertz passed um, Brian Westbrook for the most receptions mm-hmm. in, in a single mm-hmm. season in Eagles history. I got to be honest with you guys. I think Zach Ertz has some great hands. He's a dump off receiver that just happens to catch everything. He de- he doesn't break tackles. He doesn't make those big plays. Oh jeez, oh, going in on uh, Zach Ertz. Uh, listen, he does. He does <laughs> going in on Zach off the he, top rope. Listen, all right, Zach Ertz is a king of a ten yard hook pass. He could do that all day long. He can get ten yard receptions all day long. Is he going to get big chunk plays like how Dallas Goddard showed he can get? I don't know. I haven't seen much of that of Zach Ertz in his career. Uh, something we talked about last week was them. Keying the possibility of another team keying on Zach Ertz. You know, they put Byron Jones out out Mm -hmm. there, basically took him out of the game for most of the game, and that's where we as offense needed to stand up, and someone had to step up. And that's, and seeing Wentz hold on to the ball a little bit extra Mm -hmm. to see where Ertz is, you know, and him is. His timing's off this year as well. His inability to hit the check down. Mm. I mean, you're looking at, and you know, we're comparing Dak to, to Cart. To Carson, but in in terms of hitting your check down, Ezekiel Elliott had twelve catches. Yeah, you know, like he he's hitting his check down. Yeah, so I I think you know Wentz again he was he was pushing a little bit hard and and to build on me talking about feeling duped, I talked all year long about how Dak Prescott can barely crack two hundred yards. Mm. Oh man, the throwing he goes for four. 
55 against us. Almost the entire offense almost gets 600 yards against this evil Eagles defense, which I thought was going to be elite at the beginning of the season. I'm, I just feel uh, I feel duped. Well, here's the good news, boys and girls. You ready for the good news? Lay it on me. I don't even feel like talking about this right now. But there's still a chance that the Eagles can make the playoffs. Yeah, I got to sit here and put my positivity hat on because there is a scenario. And as unlikely as it seems, I believe right now there's just about a 5% chance that the Eagles make the playoffs, at least statistically speaking. It's a whole calculus problem in order to make it. But logically speaking, there's an opportunity here. It can happen. Now, if the Eagles win two of their last three and the Vikings lose two of their last three, the Eagles have the opportunity to limp into the playoffs as the sixth seed. Now, I know full right and well that this Philadelphia Eagles team is not a Super Bowl contending team. I know full right and well that if they got into the playoffs, chances are at best they might win a game. But here is my hope upon hope. That the football gods who smiled upon us in 2017 and who have forsaken us in 2018 kind of feed us a little bit of a bone. Because I'll be, I'll admit it, Dallas, I'm rooting for you. Oh, I, I am. I, I, I mean that wholeheartedly. I am rooting for the Dallas Cowboys because what ah. I need is for the Dallas Cowboys to surpass the Chicago Bears and earn that third seed. Because if the Eagles went into the playoffs as the sixth seed and the playoffs picture kind of stood the way it is, without number two really and one or two switching around, that doesn't even matter. They get a first-round bye. If the Eagles were the sixth seed and the playoffs happened today or the playoffs standing stood exactly put, we would be playing the Chicago Bears in Chicago. That's not a place I want to be at. Not in the wintertime. Not against that defense. No, I don't want any part of it. But... If the Dallas Cowboys, who have a couple uh, cookie-cutter games coming up, can somehow win out and surpass the Chicago Bears, all of a sudden you're looking at a scenario where the Cowboys get the three seed and they once again host the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, for all the crap that the Dallas Cowboys fans have talked, for all the crap that Eagles fans have been through, I guarantee you the Dallas Cowboys do not want to see the Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs. They do not want to play a divisional opponent for the third time because it is incredibly hard Mm -hmm. to sweep a team in your division. It's incredibly harder to win three of them Mm -hmm. in the playoffs. I'm rooting for you, Dallas. Listen, if the Eagles thing works out and they make the playoffs, hey, great. If they make the playoffs, I just pray, I pray, I hope. That the Dallas Cowboys get that third seed. Dude, damn, he is really throwing up the X right now. Oh, he is. A little bit. Listen, man, one can hope. <laughs> one can, like, if I'm going to hinge all my hopes on the Eagles making the playoffs with other teams in the mix, mm-hmm. because let's face it, the Eagles can't handle controlling their own destiny at this point. If they were capable of controlling their own destiny, we wouldn't even be in this position. How large do those Tennessee Titans and Carolina Panthers losses loom now? Oh. How large does that loom right now? We said after those games, are they going to come back to bite us at the end of the Absolutely. season? Absolutely. Yep. That's why all these games are so important. We're talking about tiebreakers over the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> they got still got to play the Saints twice. So that's uh, the, the Panthers are completely out of the picture. They couldn't buy a win if Jerry Jones was stuffing their referees full, with pockets full of money. They couldn't. They couldn't buy a win. 
Yeah, I mean, the Eagles made their own bed in the beginning of the season. Those When you catch those L's that, you know, you shouldn't be – a championship team like we had should not be taking L's uh, in that matter, you know, to the Bucks, Yeah. To the Titans, losing in the fourth quarter, and, and the Panthers. Uh, but now, I mean, it's 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 in a weird situation. I kind of look at this season like it's uh, old Yeller comes out and he's crazy. He's a, like, should we put it down? Like, is it like, oh, I hate, I hate the season. I hate this I season. Hate, yeah, I'm with you. I hate Compared it. to last season, it, one of the best seasons I've ever had as an Eagle fan. Obviously, we won the Super Bowl on my birthday. Can't get any better than that. Right. But I, I think going into the season, the expectations, the new norm. Uh, but I think right now we have the new storm because uh, Doug Peterson has to figure out how to weather this storm. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts with you know the way that we close out this season, the way that we if we make the playoffs and, and in the off season, and who is it going to be coached next season? The, there's, a, there's a lot of moving parts. The one advantage that we have going into this off season that we didn't have last off season is hopefully Doug Peterson is not going to be writing a book this off season. No, so we can. Uh, so maybe he can put his full focus towards next season. And I, and I, and I didn't so much like that in the in the press conference. You know, when when uh, when when someone mentioned, you know, I, I don't blame. Doug Peterson for not going for two in that scenario. Because the way the game was was kind of unfolding, the Eagles were even lucky in the position. I mean, granted, going into halftime, it was 9 nothing, right? Yeah. It felt like it was 30 nothing. Like, it felt like they were just getting outclassed, outcoached, everything. They were working on the uh, Yeah, they were working it. The, the score was not indicative of the way that first half went. And somehow the, the Dallas Cowboys both kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit, and the Eagles started climbing back. So I don't blame Doug Peterson for not going for two. I know he went for, went for two last season against the Carolina Panthers in the third quarter when the game didn't hinge upon that very play. This season has been up and down so much that I know Doug Peterson is sitting on those, that sidelines, looking at the way the game is unfolding, feeling fortunate that they have the ability just to tie the thing and maybe put it in the overtime where a flip of the coin, hey, you, I had more confidence in them winning the coin toss than I did the 60-40 split on whether or not they were going to convert that two-point conversion. But I didn't, I, you know what, I, I'll be honest, I didn't like the whole, like, yo, you, you, you wrote a book what was it? Fearless? fearless, fearless, like like how are you going to do that now? I I you know the book or no book, I didn't I didn't care much for that because he's listen if Doug Peterson went for it and didn't get it, do you think the reporters would be in the post game press or the Monday after press conference there saying hey Doug don't worry about it we know why you did it you wrote a book named Fearless. No, they would be sitting there questioning, like, why, Doug, why didn't you take the points? Why didn't you play for overtime? Why didn't you lock it up so it was a tie, you know, and you could extend the game? Mm-hmm. That's what the reporters are saying now. I didn't, I'm just throwing it out there. I didn't like the whole, like, yo, you wrote a book fearless. I didn't like it. Now, I mean, looking at the situation, does this, does Doug Peterson look like he's a little less confident in his offense? Wouldn't you be? Yeah. Well, I mean,. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's calling the plays down there, too. So, I mean, does it send a mixed signal to his offensive players thinking that in this situation, statistically, uh, the analytics show that, you know, 57% chance that he makes it, especially with that penalty. Um, Maybe the players are like, oh, man, you don't trust us. Yeah, but you know what I'm, I'm thinking about? I'm looking no further than the week prior to that when the Eagles, 
are down at the goal line, go for it, and everybody knows it's getting handed off to Josh Adams. Yeah. Like, and you, and you don't get it. And then Carson gets picked off by uh, by Norman. So, I mean, the, the chances, statistically speaking, yeah, it's 60-40. But really, looking at that game and games prior, was it really 60-40? No. I mean, I, really? I, I was okay with it. Like, I was just like, man, I'm just, ha- I'm just happy to be here. You know, like, we're, we're going into overtime. Like, we have a chance. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the, that um you know, Doug became so predictable. There was a there's a point I'm watching the game, I predicted like six plays in a row. I'm like, man, I if you can do it. Like, yeah. We've been talking about like if we can predict the plays, I mean, they know what's coming. They do. The plays have become predictable. The scripts have become predictable. The scripts have become ineffective. And granted, I sat here in the beginning of the season and poo-pooed off the Frank Reich and the DiFilippo situation being like, don't worry, dude, this offensive, the offensive minds are going to meet at the table once again and collectively they are going to formulate an offensive game plan that's going to be successful. It hasn't been successful all year. Gail, to steal your stat, what is it, 10 of 13 first quarters? The Ten e- of thirteen first t- quarters. Quarters they haven't scored. It's unacceptable. Yeah, t- uh, this is your scripted plays. This is your best stuff you're putting on paper. This is the stuff that's supposed to set the tempo for the remainder of the game. This is the stuff that's supposed to get you to lead so your defense can play pin their ears back football like they like to. And you have not been able to score ten friggin' times out of thirteen. Hey, I mean their company in the bottom. Uh, I mean, the Eagles are in our last, you know, we're 2.2 points per quarter, first quarter, you know, and and Andy Reid leads the league. Yeah. Uh, But the teams at the bottom with us are the Jags, who are 4-9, the Jets, who are 4-9, Miami, who's 7-6 with a winning record, Cleveland, 5-7, Atlanta, 4-9, Oakland, 3-10. I mean, but that, that's got to tell you something about your offense. And, and someone who's in the front office has got to look at that. Lurie's like, dude, you have to blame someone. Like if, if you know, uh, you know, grow is the scapegoat. I mean, because you can't get rid of uh, Peterson right now. Like the guy, so, the so guy won, the guy so, won you a so Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, so. I, I, I am so sick of grow. This LL Bean mannequin standing up in front of in front of the reporters, answering questions. I just I can't take him anymore. I can't take my grow. I can't do it. Play, play. You know, play that clip. Play that clip from the press conference. Everything suddenly was working. You were getting the ball to Tate, to Goddard, to Jordan Matthews. Why was it so different from the previous three quarters? What changed to make things? So much more achievable. Here it comes. Yeah, I don't know that any one thing changed. It just, um, you know, just kind of find find a rhythm. And um, what rhythm? Uh, once you get into a little bit of rhythm, and then the chains start moving, and I don't know, you, you get the defense on their heels a little bit. And, um, they had us on, on our heels early, and, and we weren't able to get that reversed. And then we got a little bit of traction, and then we were able to, to play pretty effectively. Oh my God! Shut up! I'm I'm, I'm sick of hearing this guy talk. What are you saying? Saying nothing. What He's are you talking saying? Without saying anything. What are you? What are you? What are you putting together? What are you saying? What are you doing? Why are you here, dude, bro? Why are you here? I should have rolled up a car in the back and like had the trunk open, like, grow, in the trunk. We're taking a ride, <laughs> dude. Seriously. But hey, listen, the Vikings just got rid of Johnny Flips. 
Johnny Johnny Flips is out there. Yeah. And listen, I I have made pitches for bringing people in on this podcast throughout the season. I made uh, my pitch for Le'Veon Bell. Never happened. I made my pitch for Des Bryant. Never happened. Here's here's my pitch for bringing back Johnny Flips. All right? Please. (laughs) Because, listen, make it a Hugh Jackson situation in Cincinnati. This isn't hard. You're going to be sitting at home doing nothing. You were supposed to be the next up-and-coming, brilliant, offensive mind that once you did your offensive coordinator business Mm -hmm. for a while, you were going to be first in line to be a head coach. You didn't last one season, not one season in Minnesota. Not one season. And I get why, Johnny. I, I perfectly understand why. Zimmer, who's a defensive coach, wants to have this mentality of ground and pound and physical football and not a finesse offense. Meanwhile, you're the offensive coordinator. Quite frankly, that ain't, that ain't your style. That's like me going into a podcast and totally switching up the style. Can I try to do it? Yeah. Am I going to be as effective? Absolutely, positively not. Now, the Philadelphia Eagles have had trouble with the scripted plays and the offensive game plan this entire season. Mm-hmm. They are right now in a battle with the aforementioned Minnesota Vikings, who just fired your rear end to get into the playoffs. Not only that, but you already game planned. You already got in a shootout with the Eagles' next opponent, the Los Angeles Rams. Mm-hmm. That game was close. You put 30, your offense with Kirk Cousins and all of them put up 31 points and got in a shootout with the Los Angeles Rams. Why would you not say to Johnny Flips, listen, man, you ain't doing nothing for the next three weeks. I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. You already game plan for the Rams. And if we do get into the playoffs and things stay the same, we are going to be playing the Bears, who once again, you already made a game plan for. Why don't you come in, we'll make up some BS title for you, call you an offensive red zone consultant, I don't know, make something up. Mm-hmm. He can be the, uh, the ice cream man. After your meetings where ice you're like, cream. let's go get some ice, now let's go get some ice. He can be the ice cream dude. Just have him formulating the game plan. And if he really wants to get back at the Minnesota Vikings, if the rumors are true and heads were buttoned and tensions were high over there, you have the ability to go help this Philadelphia Eagles team kick the Minnesota Vikings out of the playoffs and not for nothing but getting fired by the Vikings in your first offensive coordinator uh, position, your first offensive coordinator duties doesn't look good on you. Albeit Zimmer has his hand in this, a lot of this is Zimmer's fault. It doesn't look good at you for getting another offensive coordinator job or continuing your resume to become eventually a head coach. Come back to the Eagles. At the very least, help us game plan for the Rams and screw the Vikings. Come back to something you know. I mean, before the 2016 draft, uh, Flip was a part of that, you know, staff that went out there and basically tested Carson Wentz. Mm To, to, you know, trade up. Like, he was one of the guys who had a voice. He was the, one of the guys that was putting plays on the boards and, and seeing if Wentz could actually re- retain the information. A key part of his development. I mean, he's been part of the development of Wentz ever since he got in the league. What better player for you to, you know, hitch your wagon, uh, the Wentz wagon, uh, would be, be the, with the Eagles and a quarterback who's an elite talent that is in that the he's already got a rapport with. Right. I mean, right. it's a perfect situation. And, and, and it doesn't come down to anything further than this. 
Are the Eagles as good of an offense this year as they were last year? No. No. Has Carson Wentz progressed or regressed? Regressed. Regressed. He's regressed. I mean, let, let's face it. We can look at the stats. Yeah. We can look at everything else. But when well, I'm a big fan of the eyeball test. Yeah, the highlight plays are not there from where they were last year. He, I, was, he was making a highlight real play once a game last year. So why would you not just, even if he's not in your long-term plans, I'm not saying fire Mike grow now. Do it later. I'm sure that's coming. Send a message. And I'm not saying make flips your, your, your offensive coordinator at this point late in the season. But bring him in. It's yeah. advantageous to all of us, right? Yeah, I mean, in, in the red zone, I mean, that's where, you know, Flip had his, his stamp. I mean, the Eagles were first in the NFL, scoring, uh, you know, 65% in the red zone. I mean, the red zone coordinator. This year, they're 18th at 57.4%. Uh, you know, bring a guy like, like that back into the system, uh, why not? It all, it all makes sense. I mean, looking at the, the timeline today on Twitter, it seems like everyone was 100% on board with this. Absolutely. And the, and the you know. people that weren't were just looking at a stats page, looking at the Minnesota Vikings offensive stats and saying, this isn't anything This isn't yeah, anything but they, were, they were trying to fit a round peg yes. in a square hole. You know? Yes. Yeah. It, 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 it wasn't a system. It wasn't a fit for him to try to be that kind of offensive coordinator in that kind of system. And it's been tough up there. I mean, you've had like Pat Shermer, who's a guy who's not going to really ch- challenge the head coach over there. Right. No. You had Norv Turner walk away from a job at the end of the season. Right. Uh, and, and, and now you have um, Flip leaving not, at the end of the season. So the, obviously there's something going on. He's, he's butting heads with his uh, offensive coordinators. And not for nothing, but the Eagles did block... Uh, the availability of him to be interviewed before the, when he was Jets. on the Eagles, yeah, right? With the Jets. So there's an obvious interest there. The Eagles are aware of what he brings to the table. So for the Eagles to not even test the waters, when like how much worse could it be? Like we'd have to go through the floor right now in order for it to get worse. So bring him in. He can only the way I look at it is he can only make things better at this point. And and I was listening to uh, Gargano today. And say what you want about the guy. A lot of people talk to him. He hears a lot of stories. A lot of people spill the beans to him. And one of the things that he said was that after Carson Wentz's first year, Flip looked at his footwork and said, yo, dude, you garbage. Like, that's garbage footwork. And challenged Carson Wentz in a way that he hadn't been challenged before. Very bullish, very abrasive. Went up to him and be like, this is what you got to do this offseason. You got to get your footwork right. And he flourished. He flourished that 2017 season because he had all his all of his mechanics right. That's a direct reflection on the coaching that Flip brings to it. Now, I'm not saying he can reverse things in the next three games and all of a sudden come in and be the savior of the Philadelphia Eagles, but at this point, it can't hurt. No, it does. It can't, I mean, having a guy like that in your ear that you have a relationship with, like you, if as a player, you, you have like these certain relationships with your position coaches. If, if it's not a good one, it doesn't reflect on the field sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you guys have two guys that are on the same page and Flip and Carson, uh, they could make some music maybe. And listen, he, he would be the only guy that you brought in this year, at least midway through the season or during the season, that would make any sort of impact. Because not for nothing, the way you're using Golden Tate right now, dude, how, how bad does that third-round pick look right now? Mm. I mean, I tried to gas up Golden Tate coming to the Philadelphia Eagles as best E-Rock do. You know what I mean? I'm going to try to gas it up and make it look like the trade. But if you remember listening to this podcast, if you're a loyal listener to this podcast, you remember me saying, 
Anyone outside of Le'Veon Bell, I would not trade a pick for because at this point, nobody's going to walk into the season and be the savior of the Philadelphia Eagles 2018 quest for the repeat. And now look at the way they're using them. They're not even using him right. They can't fit him into the offense. He's only out there for X amount of percent of the snaps. Now we look, and he's probably going to cost too much to sign back in free agency, and you just wasted a third-round pick on that dude. Wasted it. Yeah, it's tough looking at the their chances of going after Amari Cooper. And they saw something in the Cooper trade, and then they went with Tate. Uh, you're looking at Cooper, who came in midseason, at what, has like six touchdowns? Yeah. He, he's been the savior of their season. So it's kind of like, did they utilize him correctly? And I'm, I'm going to be pointing more towards they haven't been utilizing him correctly. No. And at the end of the season, which when, is scary, man. Yeah. Which is really, it, to me, it's really But concerning. I always feel like Howie was pressured into a move. Remember, I mean, we were all begging, Howie, do something, do anything. It doesn't matter. Trade a first-round pick for Patrick Peterson. Trade a second-round pick for Amari Cooper. Tra- trade trade a second ra- that extra second-round pick for late. Do something. Do something. And he did, and now you're seeing that even that trade was not going to alter the course of ultimately what was to be this season. But, you know, when you bring in Golden Tate, he's an intermediate guy. He's not a deep threat guy. So, I mean, he was doing some of the things. Same, he, he works in the same areas where Ertz succeeds, where Aguilar's Aguilar. in the slot. Yeah. Now Aguilar's moved on the, out, on the outside, Alshon Jeffrey. They're all intermediate, intermediate guys. So, I, I don't know. It was, kind of, it was a weird trade. when like I, did, I didn't have Golden Tate on the radar when they were doing trades and such. No. And I and I got to pour ice water all over this right now because I'm seeing it too much on the timeline. I'm seeing too much sports talk radio about it. I'm, I'm, I'm just seeing way too much about the Carson Wentz-Nick Foles thing. And I can't believe we're even going to have this conversation right here on this show. Carson Wentz is not above criticism at this point. Carson Wentz has a lot to work on. Mainly this offseason, we just talked about flipping, giving him like, listen, you got to work on this and that. Right. The two things that Carson Wentz has to work on this offseason, one of them has always been a problem. The other one, we've seen flashes of it. We know he can do it. Number one, the one we've seen him do is his pocket awareness. Right now, Carson Wentz has absolutely zero awareness. Okay. I'm not sure if that comes with playing time. I'm not sure if that's because the offensive line isn't giving him the time that he had last year and his internal mechanism is 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 broken, but his pocket clock is all out of whack uh-huh. and he can't feel the pressure. There were times last year when he would just he would sense it. Like he wouldn't even see the defender, but he would sense somebody, he would hear the footsteps. It was like and, spidey senses. Yeah, like his spidey, his spidey sense would be tingling, the hairs on his arm would go up, and he would know, know exactly what he needed to do. Right now, there's none of that. There is absolutely none of that. We know he can do it. He just needs to get, to get back in the flow and things. The second thing that he needs to do and work on has been a problem since he was named the starter two years ago, and that is you have got... To stop eye-banging your damn receivers. Carson Wentz looks at Zach Ertz more than I look at my wife. (laughs) Like, seriously. Stop eyeballing and telegraphing every throw. When's the last time you saw Carson Wentz actually, or on a consistent basis, scan the field? Look for different options. 
I, I remember specifically seeing Carson Wentz once in the last five weeks look off a of safety. Once. Once. And you're wondering why he's targeting Zach Ertz or, the, or, or people are bragging. They know where you're going with the ball, dude. Just follow his eyes. for the first, As soon as the ball snap, uh, snapped, go wherever he's looking. That's where the ball's going. Yeah, I mean, when he starts telegraphing where he's going, whether it be sometimes, you know, like he he lock in on uh, Alshon Jeffrey by the goal line. It, it it started early. Go back to the Panthers game when the game's on the line. Wendell Smallwood is that right there to the left, wide open. Your check down, but the gutsy throw he he throws in maybe double coverage at the end zone when guys are wide open. I mean that that's I, I've been saying it all season. Like you can't go uh, broke. You know you, you, the profits right there. Just take it. I mean, that's that's what you have to do as a quarterback. We're not talking about be, become Sam Bradford, hit the check down all day, no, God, every no. day. Carson Wentz has the ability with the arm and the cannon to get it in there. Tight fits like the, against the Redskins. Four guys are around Zach Ertz, and he still throws it in there because he. Which is scary, but it, it, it tr- he trusts his arm. But you have to switch up your game some. Mm-hmm. You know he's missing now on short screen passes. Uh, you know passes Throwing behind guys. Yeah, I mean it's it just to me he's pushing too much. We we've seen Carson from day one from every single camp. You know we know when he's pushing. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Carson Wentz is not above criticism. He's not above getting better. He's not above the, the the critiques that people are throwing out there. However, his ceiling. However, please keep in mind that this kid, and he is a kid, is in his third year in the league. He's coming off of a double knee tear, and still, NBC Sports Philadelphia's own Rube, if Rube News knows podcast, please check it out. It's a good one. He said that Carson Wentz has 33 touchdowns and seven interceptions in 2017. Right now, he's on pace for 26 touchdowns and nine interceptions. Here's a list of all the quarterbacks who have had 25 or more touchdowns and single-digit interceptions in consecutive seasons: Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. Now, granted, the stats will lie to you. I agree with everybody that has those critiques of Carson Wentz. You look at his play, and you know there's something off. You look at his play, and you can't elevate his name in the same conversations as a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers. But this guy is in his third season coming off of a really horrific knee injury, and it takes a full calendar year in order to bounce back from an injury like that. Part of me feels like the Eagles maybe pushed the panic button earlier in the season when Nick Foles was 1-1 one and one and decided, like, look, medical staff, you've got to give us the clearance on Carson Wentz. You can't tell me that he was, in, he was fully recovered the minute he started Week 3. You cannot convince me of that. That is impossible. And December 10th is when he bust up his knee against the Rams last year. Well, we just, we're, we're there. December 11th, yeah. Yeah, we're there. We're there. So he should be 100% at this point. To judge his body of work this season is... is it, 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 You know what it's like? It's, a, it's unfair. It's unfair. But you know what it's like? Dak Prescott lit the world on fire his rookie year. Was, was, was named uh, the offensive rookie of the year. Cowboys fans were tooting their horn, tooting their horn about Dak Prescott. Second year, uh-oh, offensive line isn't playing as well. 
The run game's not working. Zeke is suspended for a couple games. There's a lot of injuries. The defense is banged up. And Dak Prescott struggled. Dak Prescott struggled. And what did all the Cowboys fans start doing? They started piling on Dak. Dak ain't the guy. Dak's a bust. Oh, my God, we got rid of Romo. Just rattle it on it. Well, guess who's back on Dak's jock now? All the Cowboys fans. Don't make the same. There's a lesson to be learned there. Don't make the same mistake, Eagles fans, as judging Carson Wentz coming off of injury in his third season when everybody in the foot. It is common knowledge in football that it is year four or five where a quarterback comes into his own. Now, we might revisit this conversation later six, seven, eight, maybe 10 years from now, like we did Donovan McNabb, and say that, listen, Carson wasn't the guy after all. But to say that after this season or during this season that you should not be giving him a contract extension after the MVP performance that he put up last year, I'm sorry, that that's inexcusable. Right. And and comparing to what it could be in not having Carson Wentz, like you, he's having an off year this year, not nearly what he had last year. But if you look at the stats, he's still having a decent year for a quarterback. He, we just don't have the offense around him. So I want to ask you, what... How percentage-wise, what do you attribute him not being fully healthy and uh, coaches not, like, DeFilippo not being there, Frank Reich not being there, what percentage do you put it? it How much of it is injury? How much of it is coaching? I give it 50-50 because I think you, you, you as a coach, have to know what his strengths are or what his limitations are and put him in the best place to succeed. And as a head coach in Doug Peterson, you have to look at your quarterback and say, these these uh, inconsistencies that keep, that keep popping up, that's your job to nip it in the bud. But all, but also, too, can we, can we stop? Can we please stop? Please, please stop with the damn Nick Foles talk. Yeah. Can, 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 we, can, we just, can we just let use that Use our eyeballs go? here. Yeah, let's, let's use our eyeballs or use logical arguments as to why putting in Nick Foles at this point in the season is an incredibly horrid idea. Nick Foles is gone at the end of the season. What kind of message does that send to the rest of your team, specifically your franchise quarterback, if you were to bench him right now in favor for Nick Foles? I know, Gail, you're making faces at me, but this is these are things that people are saying. No, I'm saying if if you did that, Carson Wentz would never as a player, never forgive his head coach for doing that. Yeah, that, that's that's a level of disrespect. That's why it, when you make a QB change, that sends shockwaves through a locker room. Yeah, a kind of disrespect. Like I played on teams where quarterbacks have been changed, and there's alliances to certain quarterbacks. Right. Receivers have certain alliances to quarterback. That sends shockwaves. You would never pull out Carson Wentz and do any any harm to his his mental or his, his psyche at this point. How quickly we remember the time that Donovan McNabb got pulled from a game so that Kevin Cobb could be thrown in. He took that so personally that the Eagles had to make a financial apology to said Donovan McNabb in order to make it all better. It absolutely does send shockwaves and it sends the wrong message to the team. And I know that everybody who's a, who's a Foles, Folesian is going to sit there and talk about what well, you're, you're talking about, Super Bowl MVP, who was a Super Bowl MVP against the New England Patriots and put up all those numbers in the postseason and stuff like that. They are so quick to talk about last year, yet they want to dismiss everything else about last year. They want to talk about Nick Foles last year, yet the MVP performance that Carson Wentz had, which that was last year. 
Well, so was everything that you're talking about about Nick Foles. Are you, Doug Peterson wasn't a Super Bowl winning coach. That was last year. Well, of course it was. So was every ounce of success that Nick Foles has had in the last three years in the NFL. But what what did Nick Foles actually do, even in preseason and, and the beginning of the season? Oh, I'll give that, it to that you. That makes you say that you know, like he's the be all the end all right now. Week one, Nick Foles, nineteen of thirty four, one hundred seventeen yards. No touchdowns and a pick. Week two against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 35 of 48. 334 yards. One touchdown. No picks. Against the 21st and 27th ranked passing defenses, respectively. And not only that, but when you talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game, they were down so quickly by a a large margin in that game, of course they're going to chuck the rock around. So pick one, Foles guys. Pick one. Either talk about last year but lump in the entire team, or talk about this year but lump in the entire team. Either way, Carson Wentz is your franchise quarterback. And I get it. You may not think that Carson Wentz is the guy, and that is absolutely fine. You're entitled to your opinion, and you know what? You might be right, but we're not going to judge that in year three when he's coming off of a freaking double knee tear. Uh, like Joe Schmo off the street, who's never been injured or whatever, is expecting Carson Wentz to look 100% like Carson Wentz after a double knee tear? Come, what, really? Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, I can't, there's I can't. limitations to his game right now, and you can see it. Uh, most quarterbacks who tear their knee, it takes a couple years. We're, we're not even a year since Carson Wentz is t- towards ACL. We're right almost on a year. So uh, give him some time. It could take two years before you see Carson Wentz feeling like himself 100%. And granted, you saw Carson Wentz become an elite. People last year were talking about Carson Wentz the way they're talking about Patrick Mahomes this year. Yes. But again, everybody knows that in the NFL, it takes four or five years in order for a quarterback to fully grow into that responsibility and to fully feel comfortable in any offensive system, let alone coming off of an injury. Like I'm like if, if if I swear to God, if I hear Nick Foles should be starting one more time, I'm going to stick my tongue in an electrical socket. I can't take it anymore. I don't know what it is about a loss that turns some of these fans' brains in the mush. They but eat got, themselves. They dude, get desperate for for answers. Can we win a game? Can we go to the playoffs? Please, baby. Dallas, please. do me a favor. Win out so we can see you in the playoffs if we so make it there. Quick couple shout-outs. Classic Jeff, appreciate you, man, hooking us up at the uh, Houston game. Karate Mark Merrick Kick on Roosevelt Boulevard. Check him out if you've ever been into MMA. And at Eagles underscore P-H-A-N. E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles! Eagles football? We're talking Eagles football. You're listening to Fourth and John. Wait, what the f is a John anyway? No way our championship football team is gonna go, you know, play a uh, a team who takes low angle selfies <laughs> and lose to Zach Prescott. It's not a it's 10 and 0. The team is 10 and 0.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.